A significant journey for millions of Australian Catholics will reach its final stages next week. That's after a nationwide consultation process that's included more than 200,000 people. The long-anticipated Second Plenary Council is not only the largest gathering of bishops and delegates under one roof, but will also include hundreds of representatives from local parishes. Front and centre is how to rebuild faith in the church itself. And one of the key issues here is the issue of child sex abuse scandals. It will be one of the agenda items. Archbishop Mark Coleridge is the outgoing Bishops' Conference president. And I asked him first to react to the decision in the United States to overturn Roe v Wade. Well, I don't think it lands all that much at all, if the truth be told, because the politics of abortion are utterly unique to the United States. So my inclination is not to engage at all in the um, the very particular brand of the politics or politicisation of abortion that is American. It's certainly different in this country. I mean, in a sense, one thing that this decision has done is simply return the uh, legislative power, the authority, mm. to the states. Well, that's the situation we have here in Australia anyway. The Catholic Church's position on abortion is no secret, and I share that position. So that's not the issue, but this is about the politicisation of human life, which I think itself is tragic. I think abortion is always a tragedy, but the politicisation of abortion is a tragedy of a different kind and will only intensify the polarisation that's evident now more dramatically in the USA than in places like Australia. But given six of the nine Supreme Court justices are Catholic, given the role that faith plays as part of this conversation, and also given that Australia sometimes follows America in the political and culture wars, is that likely to spill over? Will some be emboldened? Will some in the church be emboldened to step up activism in this area? Some will. I mean, some don't need any encouragement. I don't mind activism, of course, of the right kind, uh, particularly in a pluralist democracy like this. But once, once activism becomes ideological warfare, that's when you've got the problem. And that, again, is in no-one's interest. And I've tried to speak to some of the um, pro-life activists that I know to say, look, beware the ideological edge and beware tactics that are counterproductive and not in the interests of what I would call the common good. So I don't mind them being active in the interests of life and defending the defenceless. But once it becomes so highly ideologised and so highly politicised that it becomes a kind of virtual warfare, Mm. this is not of the gospel. It does land at a time, and this leads us to the plenary as well, where there is a sense of crisis, crisis in the church, crisis in society. We've been through a bruising discussion about religious discrimination with the Religious Freedom Bill. What is the church's role right now, and how much is this going to play into the plenary? This sense of crisis that also plays into a culture war. Completely agree, Stan. Now, look, crisis, if I might go back to its origins, is a Greek word which means judgment. And in certainly the church, in many ways, is under judgment. That was abundantly clear th- through the years of the Royal Commission into institutional responses to sexual abuse. But we're under judgment in more ways than that, too. So we are at a moment of crisis in the church. 
I think that was recognised when we took the decision some years ago to move towards this plenary council that is now coming to its pointy end. But I don't think it's true just of the church. I think, in fact, we as a culture and in many ways the world, if I might go macro, is at a point of crisis. And I think what's happening in Ukraine is the the clearest indication of that. It's it's not just about Ukraine. Uh, The issues that are gathered up in that wretched war are in fact uh, world issues. They're also faith issues. It's, it's they also are faith issues. As a, and this as a is holy where... <laughs> war, isn't it, See, by again, Vladimir Putin? But what's happening is that faith, and the church in particular, is being press-ganged into service of an imperialist ideology, which in the end is murderous. That's where the churches have to be very careful that the gospel, that they are the good news they are supposed to be passing on to the world, and the faith that they hold dear doesn't become an ideology that leads to a kind of violence, which sometimes can be subtle and sometimes incredibly unsubtle, as in Ukraine. The other thing the churches have to recognise, certainly in a country like Australia, is that we are not the power in the land that we once were. We're still a large and influential minority, Mm. but we have a radically different social location. So the first thing we're trying to do in this plenary council is to identify and accept the facts on the ground, not live in a world of fantasy or the way we were, but live in the world of now, even though, in fact, things can look decidedly uncomfortable. are you listening to all voices when, for instance, there was discussion the first gathering about the rights of LGBTQI, sure. and yet this doesn't appear in the draft motions. How can that be listening well, it does to appear, all voices? But it has a pretty subdued exactly. position. So how does that reflect the, the range of voices here? Well, again, we have sought within the bounds of realism to accommodate all reasonable voices. And any thought that the bishops have somehow attempted to control or constrain the process, I think, is nonsense. Those who have been responsible for putting together this document that frames the the motions that will be the basis of discussion, that they have been influenced by uh, ideological concerns or pushing their own barrel, I think, again, that's just not true. Have we listened to all the voices as attentively as possible? Perhaps not, but we're trying to do a lot in a short space. You could do more, though, couldn't you? For instance, you're not going as far as Germany in the German synodal way. No, but that's a different kind of experience, Dan. You can't compare what the Germans are doing to what we're doing. But you can be measured against that, can't you? If they're prepared to to, to do something like, you know, the, the blessing celebrations for couples who love each other, for instance and you're not prepared to go that far. No, we're not at this stage certainly prepared to go that far. The other thing is you have to consider the range of voices in a church as large and as various as the Catholic Church. I mean, James Joyce it was who said that the motto of the Catholic Church should be, here comes everybody. Mm. Now, we have heard all kinds of voices at every point on the ideological or theological spectrum. Now, how do you accommodate all those voices? Because what seems to be brilliantly creative to one person will seem to be the work of the devil on the other. The danger is that you settle for lowest common denominator, and we've been very conscious of that and sought to avoid that consistently. But but you can end up with a kind of a blandness. The other thing is, look, the plenary council isn't the last word. 
in many ways what it has done and will do is sow seeds that will bear fruit in the future. And in, in terms of sowing these seeds in the soil and, and, as you say, making the church relevant and speaking to all the voices, let's return to what I raised earlier, and that is the sure. crisis in the church around the abuse of minors. What new steps are being taken to rebuild confidence? Well, it's hard to say new steps because we've taken a lot of steps that will... Um I think in time perhaps build a new kind of trust and confidence. There's no way back to where we were, so let's abandon that mirage. What we have to do is to to make decisions that will eventually build a new kind of trust and confidence within the church, first of all, but then in the church, in society more generally. This is not a matter of spin. We have to become more and more what we are called to be. In other words, a community of people in whom others see, particularly those who are struggling and those who are wounded and desperate, the face of Jesus. And when many people look at the Catholic Church, that's not what they see. Mm. And and to that, and and part of the theme, one of the themes running through the plenary, of course, is the question of reconciliation. There is support for the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Very much so. What more can the Church bring to this? We may be going to a referendum within the next three years. What more can the church do? What is the church's role, in fact, in what is also a political process? Uh, Absolutely. Look, this has been one of the great surprises, I think, of the Holy Spirit in this whole process. The question of our engagement with the Indigenous peoples has become more and more centre stage. It's left me more convinced than ever that what we need as a church is to imagine and enact a whole new kind of engagement with the Indigenous peoples of Australia. It is the running sore at the heart of the nation. It is the original sin, I think, of Australia. And until we've somehow dealt with it more creatively than in the past, then the the sore will continue to run and the original sin will continue to do its death-dealing work. I think what we have to do in in the search for this new engagement with the First Nations peoples is to listen in a new way to Indigenous voices. In the past, we've always thought, even without saying it, that they have to listen to us. We know, they don't, they shut up and we talk. Now, I think we have to listen in the belief that we will actually learn something from them. And for us as the church, learn what it really means to be the church that is in Australia. Archbishop Mark Coleridge, outgoing president of the Australian Catholic Bishops Conference. And we are now joined by ABC's religion specialist, Noel DeBean. Noel, you had to listen there to Archbishop Mark Coleridge. From what he had to say, what does this tell us about the plenary and the church and its role in Australian society at a time of crisis in the church? Archbishop Coleridge is part of the driving of this thing. He believes it can get us somewhere and he has been uh, opposing naysayers all the way. But you did hear him then say, no, it's not the German type, it's our type, we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And he believes that these motions are not yet formed enough. Cautious. If if I I had to use a word there, it was caution. Cautious on the Uluru Statement where he says, yes, we support it, but the referendum may not get up. Oh, yes, we want to talk about LGBTQI, but it's actually not one of the 30 
motions listed. Oh, yes, we want to introduce voices, but we're not going to go as far as Germany. There is a note of caution in everything he said. It's understandable because the German synodal way has been extremely controversial. The bishops have been speaking about it against all over the world. And there are people like absolutely dismayed that Germany has gone so far as to say, no, we recommend same-sex blessings and you should change the Catholic teaching on sexuality to fix it. But of course, that is something that Mark and others have heard within this meeting because the, the delegates raised the problem of those peoples in their you know, 20s, 30s, 40s mm. disappearing from the church and sexuality is one thing they have consistently raised in the first meeting. So it's interesting to, say that he's, to see that he's been conservative on that when they know that it is an issue in many ways. Mm. Do we hear enough from him about the crisis around child sexual abuse? He says, yes, we're, we're looking at rebuilding trust, we've been doing that, but are we hearing enough? It's the context for this because there's been a, a very large governance review of the Catholic Church. It's, for example, parish priests are no longer in charge of schools. They can't employ teachers. But this is stuff which is being done outside this particular meeting and there's a lot of other stuff that's been going in terms of reform, in terms of the education system and all that sort of stuff. So I think he was actually answering honestly there when he said, well, it happens sort of more broadly and it's not our particular remit, but you would expect words or resolution from this actual meeting mm. which are strong. Also on the agenda is the question of the ordination of women deacons. So how likely a female clergy? We're up to the fourth review in Rome at the moment. There have been three already concluded. Uh, two have never been made public and we just know that um, it was debated very hotly that it is possible that the Catholic Church could decide that women deacons can be ordained again as they're mentioned in the scriptures in Romans and other places. The Greek Orthodox have already started doing it in Athens. Mm -hmm. they've, re they've renewed it. So the Orthodox are regarded by Catholics as, you know, real Christians, full sacraments, all that sort of stuff. So it's not unthinkable, but I believe that the, uh, the tone in Rome is very opposed to it and that there is still a conservative faction which would not like to see that reform happen. So it's very much 50-50 and the way they've framed their motion is like mm. that too, if Rome decides is the way they've put it. Noel, thank you. Pleasure. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.